that's part of it, but it's what you, where you put your time, energy, and, you know, into. It's, it's more than just what we say, it's what we do, okay? And so we have five core values, and I talked about one of them uh, last week. Um, the one I'm going to talk about this morning, uh, real quick, is, and we have a slide here we're going to bring up, intentional discipleship, okay? Intentional discipleship, and again, this is Jesus' value. The last thing that he said before he left was make disciples, make disciples, make followers. It's more than just get people to go to heaven one day. It's help them to become spiritually mature, um, that they would be complete in Christ. And so, um, uh, you know, and so that's what is near and dear, you know, and kind of the tagline is growing disciples grow disciples. And so basically, if you're growing in Christ, <clears throat> you will help other people to grow. If you don't want to help other people, you probably need to do a check because you're probably not growing as much as you say you are. It's just kind of the natural um, byproduct that is out there. So, um, and so here's kind of making the connection, you know, and, and you know, we did the disciple journey. A number of, a number of you did that um, in, in uh, the spring. And so just because the book study is done, we're not done. That's just giving us instruction. We need to put it into practice. We need to be doing this. We need to be living it out and, uh, and carrying it through. And so one of the ways that we tangibly did that, um, you know, during Easter was uh, through the aquarium. And so this is just kind of the, the wrap-up of that. The aquarium represents the community where we live. This is where we live and where we exist. Um, and so what do the rocks represent? Sharing the gospel, sharing Christ, talking about his words, his actions, or his person, okay? And so these are examples, you know, and again, this is, gives us a little bit of a picture of where we are as a church. And so praise God, you know, that we're talking about Christ. Do we have growth room? Absolutely, we do, okay? And so, but that's part of the process. And so the beans in there represent what? prayer, exactly. And so it's a work of God. It's a work of God in us. It's a work of God through us. It's a work of God, period. And, uh, and so um, in this whole thing, and so that's where even though the aquarium is going away, does that mean we stop sharing Jesus? No. But we probably, you know, we have to work harder at keeping our mind on it, on him. And this is where in that whole study, the whole, the whole foundation is abiding in Christ. When you're abiding in Christ and walking with him, you're not going to want to keep silent about him. And so that's the, the reminder uh, for us here. And so, um, okay, and so let me pray, and then we'll transition um, to the, the message here. <clears throat> Father, we just want to say thank you. We want to say, say thank you, God, because of obedient men and women, obedient believers in Jesus Christ that, that made disciples of which we are the fruit of. We have been influenced. And whether it's on the radio by a preacher or we went to a big event on a, on a big stage, or God, whether it's uh, our, our mom or dad or a grandfather or grandmother or, or a neighbor or, or all of those, Sunday school teacher, someone at school, like, God, you have used people 
to influence our lives because that's what the gospel is all about. And so God, help us to be a church that doesn't just say we make disciples, but be a church that does it. And God, as we're looking here, that, that we, we, we have growth room. God, that we would be honest, that we would bring this before you, that you would grow us. The places that we're afraid to speak about you, God, that you would grow our confidence in you. Because God, we, we know the need in this community. There is much brokenness. There is much hurt. There is much disconnection from you. And God, we do not want to shy away from that. But because of your work in our lives, God, we want to walk alongside people. Because our lives have been changed, we can help someone else. And so, Father, I pray as we come before you here that, that we would allow your word to do its work in our hearts. That your spirit is here. Your spirit is with us. And we ask, Spirit of God, make us more like Jesus Christ. Change us. Don't allow us to stay stuck in where we are. And so we ask that you would do that. And all of God's people said, amen. If you have your Bible, turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 1. We're going to review a little bit. We started a uh, new series uh, last week on what? The names of God. I, I heard some mummery, I mean, and it might have been right. I just couldn't pull it, pick it out. So, um, so I'm going to review. Last week we looked at the three main names of God. Okay, and I'm going to review Genesis chapter 1. Um, I got a little feedback, good feedback. Um, I have a uh, feedback lunchtime discussion every Sunday. And so one of the feedbacks, the feedbacks that I got was, Dad, it was a little confusing how you were going from these names and the English and the... And so I'm going to, I'm going to make it a little bit real, real clear here, okay? And so Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to give a review. This first name of God is Elohim. Um, and, and we don't have the slides, I'm just going to read it. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. It means that God is the Almighty, the powerful one. Flip over to Genesis chapter 2. We have Elohim, and then we have Yahweh, the personal name of God. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that, that Yahweh, Elohim, made the earth and the heavens. Yahweh is the personal name of God. And so last week, I've been practicing all week, all right? Because I flubbed last week. I couldn't blow the balloon up. And so hopefully I don't double flub. Thank you. That's all I did all week. Okay? And so the point is, just like I personally blew up the balloon with my air, Yahweh Elohim formed Adam out of the dust, but he personally breathed life into his lungs. Personally. 
And so that's the example. Okay? And so now, now let's see, we looked at the other name, Adonai. That one's not in here, but... So now turn over to Genesis chapter 3, and you're going you're gonna to see something. You probably have never seen this before. Maybe you have. You're going to say, well, I already knew that, Pastor. Give, give me something new. So verse 1, it says this. Chapter 3, verse 1. I think we have that one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Yahweh Elohim had made. Now get this, okay? He said to the woman, did Elohim actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Do you get what's going on here? What what does the serpent do? Exactly. He says, you know what? Elohim, you know, that transcendent God, he's so distant. You know, he's up there, but he really doesn't know what he's talking about. He disconnects. He drops Yahweh off and just says Elohim. Basically, the mighty one, but he's not the personal one. And then he goes on. Do you get what I'm saying? And we can easily do that. He, he was emphasizing, you know what, God is powerful, but he's not, he's not personal. He's not close to you. He, he doesn't know about life. So pff, don't listen to him. Can we relate? Probably. So turn over to uh, Exodus chapter 20. A few centuries later, Yahweh meets with Moses up on Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look at verse 7. He reveals himself to Moses that would reveal himself to the people. Look down in 20, verse 7. He says this. This is what Yahweh says. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So God was making something very clear. His name is important. His name is worthy of praise. And, 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 and not giving God the worth that it, you know, this is more than just saying a, oh my God, or a GD, you know, you get the point. It's more than just saying a curse word of, I mean, that is part of this, but it's bigger than that. Anytime that we treat God's name, because God's name describes him, they're not disconnected. Anytime that we treat God's name flippantly or casually or, or we treat his name uh, with, with, on the same level as our pet or someone else in our life, God is saying, no, I am Elohim, I am Yahweh, I am Adonai, because the names of God describe him, his character. He is powerful, he is personal, and he is also master. He is master. And he's worth listening to, and he's worth following.
And so we're going to look at two more uh, names uh, this morning. And so uh, the first one, actually, turn back to uh, Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. And this name of God is El Shaddai. El Shaddai. Translation, it means God Almighty. Or another way to say it would be God is all-sufficient. It's 48 times El Shaddai is used in the Old Testament. 31 of them is in the book of Job. It's in the book of Job. Okay? I'm going to date myself here. How many of you remember Amy Grant's song back in the 80s? El Shaddai. I'm not going to sing the whole thing, but you get the point. Okay? God Almighty. God Almighty. And so basically this name of God comes out of a backdrop of an impossible, impossible situation. Okay? El Shaddai comes out of when, when there is no way you can solve this problem. And the context here is God made a promise to Abram and Sarah. They had no children. They couldn't have children. And he said to them, I'm going to make a nation from you. God, we don't even have one child. How in the world are we going to have a whole nation? There's only one way. El Shaddai. El Shaddai. And so let's look at the context here. In Genesis chapter 17, uh, this is year 24 of them waiting for this child. The impossible situation. And so look in, in uh, chapter seven, uh, uh, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, or I am El Shaddai. Okay? I am God Almighty. Look what he says next. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant <clears throat> between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Now again, God is saying, I am El Shaddai. This is, this is before Isaac was ever born. And so what's the point that he's making? Is that God is worthy to be acknowledged. He should not be ignored. He has the power to take a couple that is 99 years old and 89. Sarah was 89 years old. I mean, ladies, can you imagine? No. You're all shaking. You know, the older ones are like, no. It's impossible. But not for God. He is El Shaddai. And it's in the impossible that he thrives because he's not limited. Not limited. He says here about uh, a covenant, that I, that I made a covenant. And so what does that mean? It's not a, a word that we really use a whole lot. It's, covenant means uh, that 
that even though that God is El Shaddai, he wants to have a personal relationship with you. Relationship, not contractual. Contractual is when lawyers get in, into it and dry up and say, okay, you're going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and if I don't fulfill my part, then go down here to line 873, and this is what's going to, that's contractual. That's not how God relates to us. God relates to us through covenant. What's the difference? It's real simple. I am initiating a relationship with you. It rests on me, not you. This is what I'm doing. This is, this is how I'm, I'm initiating this. I'm making this happen. Well, then what do I do? You simply respond to what, his, what he's doing. That's relationship. That's covenant. And some of you are reading through Genesis and you're seeing, well, man, he lied again. Abraham lied again. Why is he lying? Well, because he's human. There's some edges that need to be rubbed off. And God loves him enough to do it. And he'll do it. So in, this, in Genesis chapter 17 here, um, God changes Abram and Sarah's name. Why? Because God wants to, he, he's, in, he's in the business of giving us a new identity. I encourage you this week to go back and, and see this. In the, in the context of El Shaddai is doing this. He has the power. And so my question to you, brother and sister in Christ, what is your impossible situation in your life right now? What's your impossible? I'm pausing not because I don't know what to say. I'm pausing because what is the Spirit of God bringing to mind? What's your impossible? look at another example. Turn over to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. Joshua, Judges, and an itty bitty book after Judges is the book of Ruth. And I can't find it. Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. We're going to look in verse 20 in a moment. So Ruth's, you know, uh, basically Naomi is the main character in the beginning of the story. And so uh, she is a Jew um, who was married and had two sons. And there was a famine in the land, and so she went to Moab. And so what happens when she gets to Moab? Her husband dies. And her two sons die. So she knows and has experienced grief. And Naomi changes her name. She said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. And it's no wonder. If you suffer grief, like, that's understandable. And so look what, Na look what Naomi or Mara says, because, again, she addresses El Shaddai. Look down in uh, verse 20 and 21. 
So she said to them, do not call me Naomi, but call me Mara. For the Almighty, or El Shaddai, has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and Yahweh has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me? And El Shaddai has brought calamity upon me. And so what do we see here? That yes, Naomi suffered great loss and grief, but she never lost perspective. She never lost perspective that El Shaddai, the Almighty One, was in control of her life. In control of her life. And God knows what he's doing. And he can do whatever he wants because he's God. He's El Shaddai. And so, I'll come back to the question for you. Where do you need El Shaddai? What does that look like in your life? I'll give you two examples for myself. Uh, Leah uh, bought a plane ticket to go to South Korea. And when, you know, you can't get a return ticket 11 months out. So she had to schedule it for May, and then when you got closer, she would move it to when she's coming back in August. Well, the airlines have gone nuts. And so the ticket that she bought, um, the return flight, she can't get scheduled, and they can't offer it at that price. And the tickets are not real cheap right now. That's kind of an understatement. And not only that, there's not a whole lot of seats. So there's a number of factors that are going on. And so this week, as we're talking back and forth, from a human vantage point, this is kind of impossible. And not to the degree of Abraham and Sarah. It doesn't have to be an Abraham and Sarah to be impossible. But we need El Shaddai to figure it out. Help us. I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. Let me give you a second example. You know, for us as a church right now, there's a number of transitions that we're going through. With Rudy transitioning out of being an elder, um, God's in that. You know, for me, myself, I, um, you know, took this uh, part-time position with Marketplace Chaplain, you know, and so it's taking time, and so I had to come back and say, you know what? Friday was my last day with the Chamber of Commerce. You know, I had to go to them and say, you know what, I, 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 need, to, I need to resign earlier, and I hate to do that. Past week, I've been talking to the ministerium, and for the last, I mean, I've been the president for the last five years, and the last two or three years, I've been saying, you know what, someone else needs to step up, and they look at me like, you're doing a great job, Steve, go get them. Well, about a week ago, I said, I'm done June 1st. Someone else needs to step up. And so all these transitions, it's hard. El Shaddai, I need you, God. I need you, God. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and uh, we're going to sing a couple songs here. And uh, I leave you here with that question. 
What is God doing in your life? What are your circumstances maybe where El Shaddai is who you need to be reminded of, that he is the God of the impossible. He's the God of the impossible. Father, we pray as we sing these songs, as we worship you, as and we're not disconnected here, God. We, we, we are hearing your word, and we are responding to you. And so, God, I pray as we sing and as we think and pray, and God, that we would have just a clear sense of what you're saying and doing in our lives so that our faith and our trust would increase in you as El Shaddai. And in your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand with me. So, um, years ago, the first time, I, have, have, any, have any of you ever gone on a high ropes course? You know what a high ropes course is? A zip line. They're basically at least 30 feet up in a tree. Okay? And so, uh, um, I, you know, I remember the first time, you know, I was, went to a high ropes course and I was on the ground and a person was up there and, you know, you're all like safetyed in. And, you know, I'm on the bottom saying, just jump. Come on, just go. Just do it. Like, it's not a big deal. And then, you know, 30 minutes later, I'm up there. And it's a quite a different perspective. When you're 30 feet up in the tree and someone's down there yelling, come on, baby. No, they, they don't say baby. Come on, just do it. Okay? Because when you're up high, there can be a discomfort from it. The next name of God is that picture. Okay, the name is El Elyon. It's translated in most of your Bibles, you'll see, God Most High. God Most High. Turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 14. We're going to look at it here. This is one of the places. It's not the only place. And again, El Elyon, God Most High, it means to go up or to Look up. It's that simple. And, and the, the point is that God is so much greater than we are. He is the most high. Nobody is over him. Nobody. No one. He is the most high. And so again, the context of the story here is Abram, and, and again, I think sometimes we look at Abram, we think like he's this old man who's just kind of like, you know, going around. Abram was not a wimp, okay? Because this, the setting of this story and the setting here is that um, these kings, um, there, was a, there was a battle between five kings and four kings. And in that battle, um, one of the kings uh, took his nephew Lot and all of his family and captured him and took him away. And Abram heard about it and he was ticked off. Well, I don't know if he was ticked off. But he did something. And the scripture says that he has 318, 318 trained men. These are like special ops forces, I think. They had to be. Navy SEALs, I don't know, whatever, Abrams, you know, Rangers, you know, whatever they were. But he takes his 318 men and he goes after them. And he captures them. And he gets his nephew back and his whole family. He's no wimp, okay? He was willing to put his faith on the line. 
And so as he's coming back, we, we get this little uh, story here. And so let me start in Genesis chapter 14. Here's verse 17. And I'll just let you know, I don't even know how to pronounce this king's name. So I'm going to butcher it up. I'll just let you know. If anybody can do it better, you let me know. Verse 17, after his return from the defeat of, yep, we'll keep going. And the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, did you ever hear of that place? See what we're dealing with here. He went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of, what does he say? God Most High. You're going to hear that name a few times here, okay? Just look. And he blessed him, and he said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And so, you see the acknowledgement of where victory came from? Yeah, Abraham, he did something but God was the one who gave the victory. And Melchizedek is giving honor to the Lord. For he has delivered your enemies into your hands. And so what's going on here? Basically, uh, Melchizedek is the king of Salem. And so you're going to say, well, where is Salem? Salem is, where is modern-day Jerusalem? And on modern-day Jerusalem, there is a rock called Mount Moriah. Okay? And so this Melchizedek, it says that he's a priest. And some of you are thinking, Steve, wait a second. The priest didn't start until the law was given. Melchizedek is a special guy. Okay, and I don't want to get into all the details. You can go read the book of Hebrews. Um, but what's going on here is Abram is a spiritual giant, a faith giant. But Melchizedek is is looked at as, and again, he's a priest, he's a king. And so, he, he is able to bless Abram, why? Because there's a part that he is spiritually above Abraham. That's what's going on here. You're going to say, well, Steve, how do you know that? I'm going to show you. Look in the next, I, I didn't read the, the second part of verse 20. And Abram gave a tenth of everything. What's going on? Abram is giving a tithe, that's what a tithe is, a tenth, and Abram's a rich man. Who is he giving it to? Melchizedek, the priest, the king of Salem, Jerusalem, Moriah. I mean, you get the point. And so what he's saying here, he, he's saying, Abram's saying to Melchizedek, you are greater spiritually than I am. And that, so that's why I'm going to give my tithe to you. So we're going to do something a little bit different. I don't think we've ever given the offering during the sermon, but I feel like this just kind of fits right in, doesn't it? Okay. And so we're going to go ahead and pass the bowls while we, you know, and, and so... Abraham is demonstrating this. He's showing them that, uh, he's showing us 
that God Most High was at work. He was at work. And again, I wish I could spend more time and and so what we see in here, one of the, you know, the, the second part, you know, one of these other kings, the king of Sodom, comes and basically says, hey, I want the persons. And, and look at verse 22. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to who? The Lord Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, that I should not take a thread, excuse me, a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. So there's all this spoil, and, the, and the, the, the king of Sodom is basically saying, you know what, you can have all of that, but I want the people's side. And what does Abraham say? No, 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 no. I'm not taking anything from you. Because if I take anything from you, then you're going to come around and say, look what I gave to Abraham. And Abraham's real line and said, you know what, whatever I have, I want it to come from God, the most high God, and him alone. I'm not taking anything that you have. Now, he does say, you know, we were eating here because our troops were hungry, but I'm not taking any spoil. And so we see this. We see this example that Abram knew that Yahweh was the most high. There's no one higher than him. And he demonstrates that in a very practical, tangible way. He wanted everything that he had to come from God and God alone, that no one else would be able to take credit for it. And that's what's going on here. Well, flip over to the, to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. Uh, actually, I'll just read it off here. Here's a, that's a positive example. Here's a negative example. And again, I don't have time to go through all the context here, um, but basically this is one of the beasts that is in uh, Daniel chapter 7. And it says this, he shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and, and shall think to change the times and the laws. And so basically what is going on here, not everybody acknowledges that God is the Most High. This beast, one of the beasts in Daniel, is basically saying, I don't regard you as the Most High. I am against you as the Most High. So some people don't see God as the most high. Now, that doesn't bother God. He kind of laughs at it. If you read the book of Psalms, you'll see that he kind of laughs when people do that. <laughs> You're going to find out. But not everybody acknowledges him as the most high. So let's look at the last. Let's take this uh, to the New Testament. John chapter 3. And this is what I'll leave you with. And the worship team will come up here, and we have a couple more songs, and we'll be... John chapter 3, I think this is a familiar passage, Jesus and Nicodemus, and it's a personal conversation. John chapter 3, Jesus says this in verse 13. John chapter 3, verse 13, he says, No one has ascended into heaven, or has gone up, get it? Except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And so Jesus is saying here, I am the most high, and I left the most high place to come and live among you. And then verse 14, he gives this great example. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
so must the Son of Man be lifted up. There he gives a there he tells us what faith is. Faith is as simple as, lo- as lifting your eyes and looking to God, looking to Jesus Christ, looking to him. And then verse 15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so Jesus is putting this perspective that he, God the Son, who is God the Most High, left heaven for a period to show us who the Most High God is, what he does, what he looks like, not in physical appearance, you get what I'm saying. So I'm going to invite the worship team and just a couple applications here as you think about this. You know, it's right to praise and worship God for what he's done. And that's a good thing. God's done great things, hasn't he? In our culture, we value doing. But I think even greater than worshiping God for what he has done is worshiping God for just simply who he is. To put it another way, if he didn't do another thing for you, would you stop worshiping him? Or would you just simply enjoy him because he is the most high? He is El Shaddai. He is Yahweh. And so that's what he, as you think about that, who is your God? Do you let him call the shots in your life? Or do you follow the God of happiness and comfort, political leader, political agenda? Or is your focus on the Most High God? We're going to go ahead and stand up and we're going to...